Let's take our Bibles and go to Second Samuel chapter 23. 2 Samuel chapter 23. I'm going to be speaking on this subject this morning. Mighty men. The driving thought of this message is that manhood is a matter, it's an issue of submission and obedience to the gospel. Plain and simple. Before guys, before you and I can ever come to the place to where we are what God desires us to be, we must submit and obey to the gospel. That's it. Bottom line. So ladies, I just want to warn you beforehand, um, this is possibly one of the most violent chapters in the entire Bible. This is Father's Day. We can call it Man Day. So we're just gonna, we're just gonna let it lip and let it rip and let it fly. This is, this chapter would probably not be something referenced on Christian radio, which is quote unquote safe for the whole family. In fact, a lot of the Bible is not safe for the whole family. This passage, this book, and this chapter, from when I was a kid, I first heard it absolutely inspired me. I remember it was a summer day in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. We're out there on the edge of the woods. We had basically two neighborhoods and a large section of woods that kind of went into a gully or a valley. And kids would come through and we would play. And there was this one kid that we had never seen. And we were, you know, maybe seven or eight years old. And, and he comes up through. And, and we did what most boys of that age do. We had on our armor. The Christian armor. The Christian soldier. Are y'all awake this morning? Are you okay? And we were there and we were playing. And, and the kid comes through and he says, Y'all, look at how dumb y'all look. Y'all just have plastic swords. Y'all aren't real. This, and he pulls out a knife. He's like, this is a real knife. And then he began to come at us. Now, I had never been in that situation before. I had been in some wild Baptist nurseries, if you, if you get my drift. You know what I'm talking about? You go in and you don't know, like the kids are trying to like gnaw on each other. The nursery workers are like beating them, throwing it, like what's going on? And, and so this kid comes at us with a knife. I had never been exposed to that before. And looking back on it, it was not a good situation at all because this kid was maybe, you know, like one of the big kids, 12 or 13. And we did only what kids of that age would do if they had seen the David and Goliath, Hannah and Barbara cartoon. Anybody ever seen that before? Right? Like that old school. And then when, when the rock hits Goliath, the blood comes out. We thought that was so cool until people complained that that was showing violence to the children. You know, I'm like, the real story, like cut off his head and drug it back to camp. So we're there and the kid comes with the knife and we just, it, it, not this is not a preacher story. We kind of looked at each other and did, like a braveheart yelling, we went towards him. Now my buddy Josh had a plastic shield and a plastic sword, and I had like this stick. It was a spear, but it was a stick. But if you told me it was a stick, I would have told you it was a spear, because in the eyes of a seven, eight-year-old boy, it is a spear, right? And then this kid who had the real knife, his eyes got huge and he began to run. There was a short little, I guess it would be kind of like a somewhat of an alley between our two houses. And we begin to chase after him. We're like, we're chasing the big kid who has a real knife. Isn't this cool? And my friend Josh got close enough to hit the kid in the back with the plastic sword. And I threw the spear and drilled him in the back. He goes, ah! And he just ran on. And then we made the fatal mistake of going inside and like, Mom, guess what we just did? 
All mama heard was kids pulling knives on my kids. I couldn't go outside for like four weeks. You know what I'm talking about? Like you're already homeschooled and now you can't go out. So I just think of that. And when I was a kid, images of battles and soldiers and last stands in the Alamo. I remember the Disney Alamo movie with Fess Parker and how it kind of fades out. And he's out of ammo. He's used everything he can. And he just has that rifle holding it near the end of the muzzle, just swinging as he's going down. When I was a kid, I just said, man, that, that is phenomenal. And I, I got a little bit older, and I, I love to talk to soldiers. I love to talk to veterans. And I never try to press, but if they would like to share stories, I, I, it just has been something. I, and I never forget those stories that, that men have told me. They've been in combat and stood their ground and fought the enemy. I just want to say a quick word. Thank you to you veterans for what you've done. I know many carry the scars of war that may not be physical, but a lot of times those are the most difficult ones. So thank you for what you've done. Then you look at the Bible. You find something that kind of clashes with what many men in the West now think of like a chickified Christianity. Where you go and you come to church, and some guys are like, can I still be a dude and be a follower of Christ? I mean, do do I surrender my masculinity when I get saved? No. In fact, getting saved and submitting to the gospel, obeying Christ is the point to where we stop being scared little boys. No matter how much we can lift or how good we can shoot or how hard we can hit, it is at that point that we become what God desires us to be. So we're going to look at this morning. I'm just so excited. Um, about preaching about mighty men. If you have your Bibles, um, go with me to 2 Samuel 23. The text begins there in verse 20, uh, verse 1 of chapter 23. Now these are the last words of David. In verse 2, he says, The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light. And the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. And there's a question, verse 5. For does not my house stand so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For he will not cause... Will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? Now notice here, verses 6 and 7, this is the last official speech of David. And notice what he brings to light. But worthless men, in the Hebrew it's men or sons of Belial, literally worthlessness, men who don't have honor, men who serve themselves, are like the thorns that are thrown away, for they cannot be taken with the hand. But the man who touches them arms himself with an iron, with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they are utterly consumed with fire. Don't you think that it's an interesting point that David, the most mighty warrior of the Old Testament, closes his final speech with a warning against men who would be considered worthless? You say, Jeff, what is a worthless man? It is a man who is unwilling to commit to a cause that is bigger than himself. It is a man who is unwilling to submit to the gospel. 
It is a man who may teach his family in our situation in America, son, daughter, I want you to grow up, I want you to marry, I want you to get a job, I want you to have nice things, but they don't care if their child ever goes to hell. They may feed their child good food. They may be able to put them in good housing when they go away to college. But at the end of the day, their child, like all of us, will one day die. And the dad has not prayed. The dad has not led in simply teaching them. Look, I don't know what the Bible says here uh, exactly, but we're going to try to work through it. And the kid, once they graduate and they get into the workforce, they get their degree, they think the only thing that Jesus Christ had to do with my dad's life was he brought me there one time. He would bring me on even a regular Sunday and dump me off at kid or youth or college Bible study. And then the rest of the week, once the sermon was over, it wasn't mentioned one time. So as far as I know, Jesus wasn't a big deal to my dad. A man that may gain the whole world, but yet lose his own soul, like Jesus said. A man of Belial, a man of worthlessness. Every single one of us men here tonight, regardless of word, if we are a dad or not, have wasted time. Can I get an honest amen from the church? Amen. Men, we all have things. We have periods. We have years. Some may have decades. We say, I wish that I could have gone back and I would have not been like a thorn to where people tried to get close to me and I stuck them and I wounded them and I scarred them. But I want to be like the iron wedge that people can hold to. I I wish I could have been the rock that people could have relied upon. Well, today is a brand new day. Amen? Today is not yesterday. Today is not ten years ago. Today, Jesus is alive. And He can make all of us mighty men through His power. But it comes to that point to where all of us men have to admit that there are things that we are ashamed of. There has been sin, but we kneel before the King and and commit and submit ourselves to Him. And it's through His power that He makes us what He he desires us to be. Let me give you something before we get into the blood and guts. The typology of Christ in the Old Testament... When we study these heroes who were military idols, pretty much, we should not understand it as God is calling us to take up the sword, to take up the M16, to take up the howitzer in the name of Christ and declare war upon other people and cause them, force them to commit to Christ. That's not what the Bible is saying. The Scripture is very clear in the Old Testament that God gave the land to Israel. There were people there who should not be there. God gave the Israelites the permission to drive them out. And when we see the courage from these men, one thing I want to shine out to us is as brave and as courageous as these men were, it's simply a shadow of who Jesus is. So we're going to see David had mighty men. Not just a lot of guys. You ever known, especially the teenage guys, how bad they are all in a group? You ever notice that? Walking down the street, driving in a car, they'll yell things, talk trash, but then when you get them one-on-one, can't make eye contact, looking at their shoes, well, I, I just don't know, I just made a mistake, I don't know. And it's an amazing thing what guys can do if they've got backup. David had mighty men, make no mistake, but when it came time for Jesus to suffer and die for the sins... Of the world, all of his closest friends were counting sheep. When you think of the time 
that you stand alone, understand that the one who will always stand with you, he stood alone. And Jesus' mighty men failed. So even David in all of his conquests, he had mighty men with him. Jesus conquered a billion times more when it was just him. So today when we look at the courage, we don't want to say, wow, Benaniah, wow, uh, Joseph, well, all of these Hebrew heroes. No, we want to look at Jesus. Amen? That's what we want the focus to be. It's on Jesus. And I'm already getting worked up and we're not even the first one. Let's go to verse 8. Alright, these are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Joshab Bashibeth, a Tahimanite. He was the chief of the three. Notice what he did. He wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. Wow. Imagine that. You're in battle. There's a mass battle. And you take your spear. Not your crossbow. Not your bow on the top of a mountain. Not your catapult. But you take a spear. And hundreds of men, you defeat them. Unbelievable. Notice here. And this is one of my favorite ones in verse 9. And next to him among the three mighty men was Eleazar, the son of Dodo. It says that he was with David when he defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle when the men of Israel withdrew. So guys, the majority, they fled. Notice what he did. He rose. That's a good word right there. Amen, guys? When all the other men may flee from the battle, say, you know what? I'm going to get myself up and I'm going to go to the battle. And I'm only going to go. I'm going to fight. But it says he struck down the Philistines with until his hand was weary and his hand clung to the sword. He fought so long and so hard that the muscles in his forearm became almost like a vice and he couldn't let it go. May it be that we fight so hard for the Lord by praying and studying His Word that the sword of God's Word becomes a part of us. Amen? It's not something we do, but it's part of us. Remember my, uh, my Uncle Jim on his uh, Aunt Suzanne's their, um, their honeymoon. They went to uh, Disney World and they went on the... Has anyone here been on Space Mountain? Anybody here been to Space Mountain? The roller coaster of heart attacks. Alright? You're going through all that dark area. And, and after the ride was over, they said, sir, you can get out. <laughs> this is awesome. It's a great thing to bring up when all the family gets together. Hey, who am I? Right? His hands were grabbed to hold so hard at the bar he said, I can't let go. Excuse me, sir? I can't let go. They had to pry his fingers off of the safety bar to get out of the ride. So we don't know exactly what it was, but we know that this man fought so hard that his sword became grasped his hand. I remember as a kid, and my dad, you know, my dad would sometimes just put in different scripture references, and he said, you know, there was a guy in the Old Testament, one of David's men, who fought so hard that he couldn't let it go of his sword after the battle was through. I was like, whoa. No way, right? You know, just like as a kid, you're like in a trance the rest of the day, like, good night. Then notice it gets even awesomer. Uh, in verse... 11. And next to him was Shammah, the son of Agi the Heretite. The Philistines gathered at Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils. And the men fled from the Philistines, 
But he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines. And the Lord worked a great victory. Wow. You see in this text, the obedience, the Holy Spirit empowered obedience to stand firm for what should be stood firm for. And the sovereignty of God allowing and using that obedience to work out a great victory. Now notice once again, everybody else did what, guys? They fled. But he stood and he defended it and he won the day. Then in verses 13 through 17, David said, Oh, that I may have a drink from the well of Bethlehem at the gate. Apparently the water was very good. David was saying, you know, that'd be, oh, that'd be so good if I could just have some of that. He didn't tell anybody to do anything. He was just expressing how he felt. And three of his mighty men, they went behind enemy lines. Now imagine this. Imagine soldiers having so much respect for their commander that they don't even account their lives of anything. They say, if my commander wants a drink, he didn't command me to go on a suicide mission, but because I respect and I honor him, we're going to fight through the lines. And this is crazy. They fight through the lines, manage to get a pitcher of the water, fight back through the lines, and bring it to him. That's crazy! May it be that when we read the Word of God, guys, it doesn't even have to be something where He says, do this, do this, don't do this, do this, do this. We just say, Lord, what is your wish? What do you desire? I'm ready. Sign me up. No matter what it takes, I'm willing to serve you. And I'm willing to go as far as I need to go. And then David simply, he poured it out on the ground and said, I cannot drink this because that would be drinking your the sacrifice of your blood. And this is even better. In verse 18, Abishai, the brother of Joab, wielded his spear against 300 men. He won a name beside the three. And also in verse 20, 20 this is the ninja of the Bible. If you guys didn't know ninjas were in there, here it is. Let me break it down. He was a valiant man, a doer of great deeds. He struck down two... Then it gets hard to translate. Hebrew word here, if you have the ESV, they actually just transliterate it. It's Ariel. Which has something to do, if you're reading the King James, the two lion-like heroes of Moab. The Moabites were known as being big people. Their warriors were always referred to as strong. So basically, these were two bad dudes. He took him on, defeated him. Notice what he also did on his day off. He also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen. Like there's no battle. And he just went out on a snowy day, went down into a pit. Are you guys tracking with this? Let me, let me, let me, let me break it down again. It was snowing and he goes outside. And then when he goes outside, he finds a pit. And in the pit he finds an Lion. Now let's stop right there. Guys, what would most of us do? Most of us would leave. And if you're by yourself, most of us would make up a story about how you were chased by the lion, but you were able to you know, use your manliness and just get away from him in some sense. But he went down and he killed the lion. Even further, in verse 21, and he struck down an Egyptian, a handsome or a strong man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but Ben and I went down with him with a staff and snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. 
Another part of the Bible that parallels this, it says that the man was basically around seven and a half foot tall. Given what we know about the Hebrews back then, Ben and I was probably in the five foot range somewhere. So what you see with all of these guys is an absolute commitment to their duty. Now go with me to probably the most moving phrase out of the whole chapter. Verse 39. Somebody tell me what's the first name there. And the only. Uriah the Hittite. Remember when David had that period of time of disobedience in his life and he looked out and he saw this woman bathing? It was Bathsheba. Long story short, Bathsheba was this guy's wife. David brought her in, committed adultery. Then he sent out a special kill order after everything had been tried. He had tried to work it out. He brought Uriah home. He got him drunk. Got him drunk. Tried to get him to go in with his wife so it would look like the child was Uriah's and not David's. Uriah had so much respect and honor for his fellow soldiers that he slept outside his own house. He said, how can I go in to my own home when my fellow, when my fellow soldiers are fighting? And finally, David signed the death warrant by Uriah's own hand and sent it back. He said, when the fighting begins to, that begins to be intense, I want the men basically in his squad to pull back. And he was killed by the archers. A man who was committed to the point of death. Some amazing, amazing feats, right guys? I'll give you a quote from James Cameron, director of the Titanic, also um, the recent Avatar movie. He said, speaking of the movie um, Terminator, there's a little bit of the Terminator in everybody. He operates completely outside all the built-in social constraints. And within every guy, you may not want to be Arnold Schwarzenegger, you may not want to be the Terminator, but there is something within the soul, deep within the heart of every man, to where we desire to conquer things. It's just the way that we're made. It's just the way that we're wired. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to give you five uh, truths that stand out from this passage that God, I believe, wants us to grab a hold of. It's there in your outline. If you want to write them down, fill in the blank. To grab a hold of, to follow Him the way that we should. Number one, mighty men surround themselves with mighty men. Notice one thing you see throughout all of this is that they were in it together. Mighty men surround themselves with mighty men. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Number two, mighty men seek out challenges, not safety. There's always going to be the challenge for us guys to try to seek out some type of compromise. To say, Lord, I'll give you this part of my life, but I won't give you all of my life. I'm telling you guys, the greatest thing you can ever do is surrender your heart. Surrender everything you have to Jesus Christ. I just to be honest. Sometimes when I say stuff like that, so the way some people look back, I'm like, they think I have been smoking crack all last night. They think that I am crazy. I hope that the Lord helps all of us to grab a hold of it. It's not just something that Jeff does on Sunday morning. Bible says it's not just an activity, but it is something that the Lord can change your whole life. Because Jesus Christ is worthy of everything. So mighty men, guys, we've got to seek out challenges. Do hard things. Do hard, don't seek out the easy way. I want to 
give you something from a uh, secular article here called, uh, this is uh, from Dr. Philip Zimbardo. It's from CNN.com. It's been published there. That great right-wing bastion of conservative commenting. It's called The Demise of Guys. How Video Games and Porn Are Ruining a Generation. Let me read to you some of this article. Speaks of the consequences could be dramatic. Speaking of the excessive use of video games and online porn in pursuit of the next thing is creating a generation of risk-averse guys who are unable and unwilling to navigate the complexities and risks inherent to real-life relationships, school, and employment. Stories about this degeneration are rampant. In 2005, um, Seong Saab Lee, a South Korean man, went into cardiac arrest after playing StarCraft for 50 consecutive hours. Let that sink in. 2009, MTV's True Life highlighted the story of a man named Adam whose wife kicked him out of their home. They have four kids together because he couldn't stop watching porn. Norwegian mass murder suspect Anders Bering Brevik reported during his trial that he prepared his mind and body for his marksmanship-focused shooting of 77 people by playing World of Warcraft for a year, then Call of Duty for 16 hours a day. The article goes on to say that young men who play video games and porn the most and use porn the most are being digitally rewired in a totally new way that demands constant stimulation. In other words, a guy who cannot pay attention to anything because he's been accustomed to that. And those delicate developing brains are being catered to by video games and porn on demand with a click of the mouse and endless variety. Such new brains are totally out of sync in traditional school classes, which are analog, static, and interactively passive. Academics are based on applying past lessons on future problems, on planning, on delaying gratifications, on work coming before play, and on long-term goal setting. Finally, the article notes, guys are also totally out of sync in romantic relationships which tend to build gradually and subtly and require interaction, sharing, and developing trust and suppression of lust. Guys, this is a scary, scary article. And if you've already noticed something in your bulletin that may appear strange, I have something under point number five. And we're going to address this as honestly and as straightforwardly, as lovingly, as challengingly as we possibly can. It's called Weapons for Every Man's Battle. It references 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, which speaks of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. I really don't have enough time this morning to unpack the scary statistics of how many men, now we're not speaking just to general population, but men who are involved in an evangelical church on a weekly basis that seem to be hopelessly in the chains of pornography addiction. One of my friends who got a degree in counseling, he said, Jeff, one thing that I've noticed in churches is that whenever pastors address pornography, they get up and they yell and basically say, don't do it, it's bad. But they never offer any help. Have two for online issues of struggling 
with every man's greatest battle, which is lust. Notice the first would be uh, the keys to online integrity and accountability. It's x3watch.com. This is a free, gospel-centered, Christian um, way that you can remain accountable online. Also, Covenant Eyes, Internet and Accountability and Filtering. Um, I use Covenant Eyes even with my... I've got my iPhone here. Um, I have it set up, and this is the, for, for your pastor to remain accountable. Whatever... And this, this almost gets somewhat scary. Every site that I look at on my phone or on my home computer... That goes to three of my accountability partners and every day they receive an email on what Jeff has looked at. If there's anything questionable, it flags it and shows it up top. It's accountability. Mighty men surround themselves with mighty men. Guys, I, if, you have, if you have an issue, if you looked at something recently, the Lord has brought conviction. You say, that was sick, that was wrong. I never want to do it again. God, please forgive me. And I'm going to go forward. Or whether you are in deep addiction that no one knows about. I put these in the bulletin. It's not singling you out. Everyone has received it. Please, I'm asking every single one of you guys, if you don't want to uh, go high tech with the covenant eyes, just get on X3 Watch. And please subscribe to it. Have it on your... If you have a PC, it works even better because it can actually have some severe blocking capabilities. If you use a Mac, um, it has an alternate um, way to do that as well. And if you want the techie nerd lingo, I can talk to you about that afterwards. But pornography addiction is absolutely decimating our men in the church. It's causing men to feel defeated. It's causing men to feel like, well, I, I know that Jesus is the Son of God. I desire to serve Him, but I am in this sick, perverted, nasty mess. Let me give you a thought. If you get tempted to go to those sites, guys, um, much of that, the women who become involved have been the victims of incest, of rape, of all sorts of sexual abuse. Everything from the ladies who work at strip clubs to the ones who are involved and they are paid to do pornographic pictures or videos. Let this be in all of our minds if we are tempted to go back to that. She is someone's daughter. She's not just doing this because this was what she had always dreamed her life would be. 99.99999% she is a broken Sad woman. And may it be that when we look upon something like that, that the Lord would break our hearts and cause us to surround ourselves with mighty men. I don't want to belabor this point, guys, but I'm begging all of you, whether you have, so this is, this is even deal. So, so ladies, if your son or if your husband uh, come home today, they say, I want to sign that up. Don't begin to grill him. Don't throw them under the bus. This is for, I'm asking all of you guys, you can do Covenant Eyes, you can do X3. I'm sure there are other things out there, but have some type of online accountability. If you don't have an issue with it yet, praise the Lord. But there is something in our culture that you can't have an email address. Y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? You go to check your email and you get some filthy, nasty thing. And all you have to do is click. That's more temptation than it would be wise to allow ourselves to deal with alone. 
Mighty men surround themselves with mighty men. Number two, mighty men seek out challenges, not safety. Number three, mighty men stand against evil that may be unpopular. You say, Jeff, how can I stand against evil? Stand up for the unborn. Those people that you know in your life that are without hope, take the gospel to them. Take a risk of being looked at as weird. Stand against evil. The world is going to hell because one thing we see from 2 Samuel 23 is that the enemy came, the majority fled, but the mighty man stood. Amen, guys? They stood. And notice once again, if you can go back with me to Eleazar in verses 9 through 10. When the Lord brought about the great victory, I was convicted by this. It says at the end of verse 10, And the men returned after him only to strip the slain. I pray that God would take it out of my character to where I would want to be in the battle and not simply come back to get the spoils of what other people have fought for. Means for us, and we should be on the front lines for our families to, to even be the point of being awkward to try to pray for them. And, and it's kind of one of those awkward prayers where you don't know how to finish it. But do it. Do it for your children and for your wife. I'm not married, but I try to talk to so many godly women. And one thing I hear over and over again is that what we desire is that our God, our husband would lead us. You just lead us. That I wouldn't have to kick him and pour water on him and bring in a pot and bang it, and then bring in an air horn, and then bring in all the kids and flip his bed over, and then put peanut butter on him and stick the dog on him to get him to go get, go to church on Sunday morning. I'm even crying out loud, Jeff. I would just, even make my day if he would just say, you're like, all right, just get up, all right, let's go. Let's go. Let's go, yo. Let's go to church. Let's study the Bible together. That's what, I mean, you hear that? That's what we desire. That's what we look after. I watched a video on, uh, on YouTube a couple weeks ago. And you know, there's all sorts of things on YouTube. And uh, it was um, a rally in the 1930s with Mussolini, little black-coated dictator of fascist Italy. And the crowds that were gathered there in Rome were absolutely stunning. I really don't know how you could have counted that many people. I mean, it was, it seemed like, I mean, they were just everywhere. And he, he was standing up in this balcony, giving his fascist, racist, ungodly, unchristian speech. And the crowds were just absolutely like from the lower part of the diaphragm, like battle cry. We're with you. We believe it. And I thought, what would it have been like to have been the person in the middle of the crowd? And when everything gets quiet, you yell out, no. Guys, we need to, and I'm not trying to form this in any type of a quasi-cuss word, but we need to say no to hell. Amen? He tries to come after us through our lusts, through online porn. When He tries to come to us through trying to break up our families, we tell Him, I'm going to bow the knee again to Jesus. I'm going to surround myself with mighty men. That's why all of you guys need to be in a Bible study. You can have accountability and friendship. You can know other men. And you can have other men pray for you. Number four, mighty men commit to a cause bigger than themselves. Go back with me to verse number 11 with Shammah. Imagine if you were him. Philistines were technologically superior. 
In fact, if uh, this goes into a political issue of gun control, in fact, you could make the parallel very easy, that the Philistines, when they conquered large areas of Israel, they would not allow them to do blacksmithing work because they said, lest the Israelites make swords for themselves. In fact, it was so bad, they had been disarmed so much that when Jonathan and Saul were in charge... King Saul, the only two swords they had in the land were the king and his son. That means that everybody else was fighting with basically farm tools. And if you had a farm tool that had an iron head, you had to pay an exorbitant amount to go to the Philistines to just have it sharpened. That's why so many of the, of the Israelites were good at slinging rocks. Plenty of rocks. All I need is a piece of leather and I'm a bad man. Then you come to Shammah, who faces a technologically superior enemy. Now, notice what he fought for. It was a ground full of gold, right? Is that what it says, guys? Silver? Rubies? No. A ground that lentils had been planted in. I mean, it's like little bean-looking things. I mean, just take a step back. If everyone else flees, and you see the enemy, and you say, what in the world am I fighting for? And you look down, and you're like... Lentils, peas, beans? I'm, I'm, I'm not giving my life for this. It wasn't the lentils, it's what they stood for. Guys, it's not simply reading your Bible, but it's what it stands for. It's not coming to be humbly submitted to the Lord to hear His Word at church. And I pray that you hear His Word and not my opinions, amen? I'm serious about that. I mean, if, if I if I die on my way to Lynchburg tomorrow, I want my almost two years here with you to be that Jesus is a mighty Savior. And His Word is true. The thought had to go through Shema's mind. Why is this worth it? It was worth it because what it stood for. And guys, I pray that God would help us to develop a, not a shallowness of commitment, but the point that we say, I will not move. I will not move. I will lead my family as best I know how in prayer. I will pray with them. Even if it gets awkward, if it gets strange, I will try to invite them to church. If my child is away from the Lord, I will continue to lovingly pray for them. I will never quit. Because you see, the guys, the thing about quitting, whether you work out or whether whatever it may be, it's not the issue of just quitting. It's what it builds a precedent for. You know? Like when you quit... The next time it gets easier to quit. And the other time it's easier to, you know, guys, form that excuse. Well, I'm tired. People have been rude to me. Finally, I want you to hone in on number five. Mighty men are humble enough to obey orders and confident enough to give them. Danny Forshee says this, fear and faith cannot exist in the same heart. That's a good word. Fear and faith cannot exist in the same heart. You say, now Jeff, how do I stand alone? Let me give you two ways. Number one, train yourself for when the battle comes. Let me give you two texts. First Timothy chapter four, verse seven, and second Timothy chapter two, verse fifteen. The Bible says, first Timothy four, seven, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, for bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for this present life and also for the life to come. In the same way, guys, that you train your minds for business and how to make money, which can be a God-honoring thing. Amen? 
Now hold on, y'all been listening to the news. It is a God-honoring thing to provide for yourself so that you can provide for other people. Don't let anybody ever tell you that the success financially that God has given you through His power is a bad thing if you use it for the glory of God. Don't buy the class warfare. Why? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Be diligent to present yourselves to us and God. Approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately or rightly dividing, handling the word of truth. Secondly, simply yield yourself to the control of the Holy Spirit. Philippians chapter 121, some of you know it so well. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Let me give you one more about Jesus. The prophecy in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 7. Isaiah prophesies about what Jesus would do, and it's this. For the Lord helps me, therefore I am not disgraced. Remember when Jesus was there, alone, naked, all of His friends had left? Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, like a rock, and I know that I will not be ashamed. See, Jeff, how, 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 do, I, how do I be that? I, I want to serve Christ. I, need, I know my life needs to change. How do I become powerful? The, the question, guys, is, is what is power? Our culture tells us that if you take enough creatine and protein, if you work out enough, you maybe could get to the 400 bench press club. And when you get to the point to where it doesn't matter if you wear an extra large, when your size is a large, you've got those big chests, I mean, your shoulders are out, you just, you are just bad to the bone. Or maybe you begin to do all sorts of squats and you're able to squat six, seven, eight hundred pounds. When people look at you, they're like, other guys tell you in a non-weird way, like, bro, you're a beast. And you kind of have that satisfaction like wherever you go, people look at you as a strong man. And then maybe, guys, is strength being able to develop fighting skills. You know, it's still like a devastating... Girl, this may not, not make that much sense. Able to throw a devastating head kick. You have a left cross that will drop a heavyweight. Is all of that strength. Maybe if you make enough money, it doesn't matter what anybody does to you, you are good to go. Fire me. I don't care. I got a 401k. My house is paid for. I've got a house at the lake. I've got a house in another country. I'm good. I don't need anybody. Is that power? Is that being a mighty man? Or could it be that we reject what the world tells us, that your manhood is defined by your physical strength, by your financial dominance, or by your intellectual abilities? And we submit all of that and say like Paul, everything that I have compared to Christ. And I don't want to get in trouble here, but I'm just going to go a step further. The word he uses for dung is not dung. If you want to know what it says after the service, talk to me. I looked it up in the Greek lexicon. It is a very strong word for garbage. Paul says, everything that I've ever achieved in my life compared to Jesus is garbage. It's at that point, guys, when we kneel down, the Lord raises us up in His power, and we may have fear. We say, well, I want to be a mighty man, but I'm not really, if I can be honest, Jeff, I'm not really that big a fan of standing alone, but I'm willing to. And one thing that you will find when you begin to stand alone for the gospel, just like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, God will bring mighty men along you.
alongside of you. And you'll be facing the enemy, whether it be lust, whether it be depression, whatever it may be, in your manhood. You see, I think I can stand through the power of God. And then you advance when everybody else flees. But then you look around and God has brought mighty men with you. And I encourage all of us guys to be accountable and to be encouraging to one another. And to be real and honest. And be man enough, even if it comes down to it, to share emotions. Because I don't know about you, but I would not charge David nor Jonathan with being a wimpy man. And the Bible says that they wept upon each other when they were parted. Reject the John Wayne type of manhood to a man never shows emotion. Because when I read the Bible with guys who kill lions in pits, men who stand alone and kill hundreds of, of the enemy with a spear, then you look at Jesus who wept. I think that we need to drastically define manhood as simply submission to and obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we come to this time of commitment for our men. First of all, for any of you men today, you say, Jeff, I need to get saved. I need to get saved. I'm ready to turn my life over to Jesus. I know that I need to repent and turn away of my sin. I need to turn away from it, just to reject it. I'm ready to receive Jesus today. I'm ready to turn it all over to Him. Right now, just give your life to Him. Say, Jesus, I'm giving it to you. I repent. I'm turning away. Save me, Jesus. Just do business real with God right now. Say, God, I'm, I'm willing to follow you. I'm willing to follow you in baptism. I'm willing to live my life for you. Please save me, Jesus. The men among us who you have been so defeated and Satan has used pornography to tell you that there is no hope and that the shame is too great of you ever being able to be delivered from it. The invitation for you today, all of the guys, I pray, she would go home, you would sign up for either of these two online accountability softwares. This would be a way that the Lord could deliver you from that. But ultimately, it's an issue of the heart. To all of us guys in here that have failed in this way one time or another, let's just take this moment right now to say, God, I was wrong. I was lustful. I was not walking in the Spirit. Would you please cleanse me? Don't bring excuses, guys. Just to say, God, it was wrong. Ask Him to cleanse you. Just right now say, God, would you take back that ground that I've given over to the enemy? Would you take it back? Would you restore me? Please restore me, God. And finally, guys, when you're ever tempted to go back to that, remember, she's someone's daughter. More than likely, she's a broken, sad, depressed woman. Let our compassion overwhelm our lust. Finally, any of you who you desire to join this church, man, woman, you followed Christ in believer's baptism. This is your time. You know that the Lord would have you to be here. Whether you need to be saved, whether you need to get baptized, whether you want to join the church, if you just want to come to the front to pray for someone, this is the time for when we begin to sing, for you to get up out of your seat and boldly, courageously walk forward for the glory of God. Father, we just want to give this invitation to you. In Jesus' name, amen.